want to take a quick moment to introduce myself. My name is Jonathan Romig, and I'm the pastor of Cornerstone. And if you are new, I would love to meet you after the service. But this week is actually the, the second sermon in a two-part uh, series. So if you weren't here last week, I encourage you to go back and listen to God's Law Part 1, where I went through the Ten Commandments. If you go back and you listen to that, you will learn how to remember the Ten Commandments. Uh, I, I almost guarantee it. Uh, you might have to listen to it a couple times to really remember. Let me pray for us, and then we'll begin. Holy Spirit, thank you for your word. Thank you for the scriptures. Thank you for the Bible. Thank you that we can sing, that we can praise you. And I pray that we would um, uh, sit here and hear your word as an act of praise. That this would be a time that we would set apart for you, to hear from you. Not to hear from uh, necessarily me, but to hear from you. We can only have that happen uh, if your Holy Spirit shows up. And so I pray that he would. In the name of Jesus we pray, amen. Now, if you get to know me, uh, you'll discover that I like playing games. I like all, playing all sorts of, of games, whether it's board games or, or card games or video games, anything along those lines, I enjoy them. And tomorrow night, as part of this Frontline Ministry Weekend, I'm having uh, a few friends over to play uh, some games. And one of my favorite games that I actually uh, brought today as part of Show and Tell so that you could uh, see it is called Balderdash. Have any of you played this game by just show of hands? You like this game? Uh, you don't have to tell me if you don't like the game. I saw, I saw one head shaking. Uh, but I, I like Balderdash. It's a, it's a fun game. And uh, kind of the, the point of Balderdash is to, uh, you can look up a word. So you look up a word in the dictionary, a word that no one knows. You try to come up with a definition. Uh, you, if you're the one looking it up, write down the correct definition, then everyone else that's playing writes down a fake definition, you put them in a, a hat, and then you know, whoever uh, gets the most points for guessing the correct definition, or if your definition is guessed, uh, you, you can win the game that way. Now, uh, this version of Balderdash uh, has uh, several different uh, categories, peculiar people, marvelous movies, and one of them is laughable laws. And since we're on the kind of the topic of laws, I thought I would share a couple of these different laughable laws with you. Uh, so I'm going to give you the first half of the law, and you can kind of imagine what the answer is in your head. Apparently in Sweden, it is against the law to try and train your dot, dot, dot. So you would come up with your, your own answer. What do you think it is illegal to train in Sweden? Well, the correct answer is, in Sweden, it is against the law to try and train your pet seal to do tricks. So... <laughs> Fun trivia of the night. If you have a pet seal and you're moving to Sweden, watch out. How about something a little bit more uh, close to home? In West Virginia, it is unlawful for a clergyman to tell a joke while on the pulpit. So I better not go to West Virginia. I might get in trouble. How about really close to home? In Boston, Massachusetts... 
It is against the law to put tomatoes in clam chowder. <laughs> That's right, it is. <laughs> keep, those, keep those tomatoes out of my chowder. <laughs> Someone cared enough to come up with these kind of weird and, and strange laws, didn't they? And so do any of them really apply to us? You know, I'm sure there are local ordinances that if we heard, we'd be like, oh, I don't know about that. Should I really follow that? It's easy to feel the same way when we read the Old Testament law. Maybe you felt a little bit like that as, as we were reading some of those laws during the worship service. Do any of them really apply to us? Should I just ignore them? Just kind of skip over that part of the Bible? Uh, you know, do I have to, uh, you know, I don't have an ox, you know, and I'm, I'm probably not going to spend my Saturday morning digging a pit, uh, and my neighbor doesn't have an ox, maybe uh, some other animal. So does that law really apply to me? There's another one that says, if children you know, curse their parents, they're to be put to death. Would any of you really do that if your children cursed at you? Of course not. So how do we interpret it? As a strict code, as, as principles, or perhaps as something we should ignore? Well, I want to ask kind of three questions. I want to break that down into three parts as we kind of look at this topic throughout the Scriptures. First, how does the law apply to the Israelites? How did the law apply to the Israelites? Number two, how does the law apply to Christ? And three, how does the law apply to Christians? How does it apply to us? So first, how did the law apply to the Israelites? To answer this question, I want to try to flip the slide there. There we go. Uh, we need to go back to the original promise that God made to Abraham. Now, we saw that on the little uh, video, that God made a promise to the forefathers of the nation of Israel, to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And one of the promises God made to Abraham in Genesis 12, verses 2 through 3, is that God was going to make Abraham's descendants into a great nation and use that nation to bless all all the nations, all the peoples in the world. And as we go along and we get to the book of Exodus, we learn that one of the ways God is going to bless the whole world is going to, he's going to take the nation of Israel and make them into kind of his special people. And one of the ways he does that is through the law. The law helps the Israelites accomplish the mission God has given them to bless the whole world. And so we can break down the law into kind of three parts. I read an article by the Village Church where they kind of broke it down this way. How does the law apply to the Israelites? Well, first, the law distinguishes Israel. It distinguishes them. It sets them apart. It makes them stand out in the crowd of nations. See, Israel is a, a special nation. They are, uh, they're not uh, a, a democracy. They're not a kind of a, a representative democracy. They're not like us. They're what we call a theocracy. In your bulletin, there should be a, a definition for a theocracy. It's a, it's a form of government that God rules, that God is kind of the one in charge. God's the king. God's the president. God, uh, God does the ruling, though, through a, 
a religious body, so through priests or prophets or judges, or once we get to the New Testament, uh, through elders. Have you ever been to a party or to uh, a dance? Monica and I chaperoned a high school dance last night. Have you ever been to one of these and, and seen that kid that seems to show up in like 90% of the dances who is way overdressed than everyone else at the dance? So he's wearing like a fedora and a, and a three-piece suit that's pinstriped and, and like an off-shade of light purple. Well, Israel's supposed to stand out in the crowd a little bit like that, except not in an awkward teenager kind of way, but in a holy kind of way. The law, says, the law just wraps Israel, like you saw in the video, the, the law wraps Israel in this, this holiness, this way of living that sets them apart. It distinguishes Israel. That's the first way the law applies to them. The second way is it restrains them. It restrains spiritual and physical evil in the nation of Israel. If you're going to be God's people, God is holy, well, you have to represent him, don't you? And what does the law do? It helps that happen. It restrains the evil. See, the the law teaches the Israelites to not worship God, the one true God, the God named Yahweh in the Old Testament, like those foreign cults. There's all sorts of laws about, you know, how do you build an altar? How are the priests supposed to, to lead us in worship? These are all meant to set the nation apart from those foreign cults, to worship God the right way, to restrain spiritual evil. But the, the law also teaches the Israelites, it kind of restrains physical uh, evil. The uh, social justice is part of it, but just how to love your neighbor, how to treat them kindly. And if you, if you read the, the Old Testament law, it's amazing because it protects classes of people that would otherwise be at risk. So if you were to compare them to a foreign nation, uh, the, 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 the slaves, the, the unborn, the, the women in their culture would not have the same rights as those of Israel. And one of the ways the law does this is by consequences. It, it outlines, well, what happens if you do this evil thing? And I wanted to give, uh, show you an example, Exodus 21, verses 23 uh, through 25. It says, but if there is a serious injury, you were to take life for life, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, hand for hand, foot for foot, burn for burn, wound for wound, bruise for bruise. Now, this is pretty graphic. It's a, it's a pretty one-to-one kind of judgment system, isn't it? Maybe some of you have heard uh, that quote that's attributed to Gandhi, an eye for an eye makes the whole world blind. Well, does this... Uh, Does this help stop violence or does it increase it? And the answer is it actually acts as a prohibition. It, It restrains violence. It restrains evil because it says if you do something wrong, so if you if you maim someone else, the consequence is a fair just a judgment. It's a fair punishment, an eye for an eye. Because what is our natural desires it's, as humans? It's, oh, you hurt me like this little way? You hurt my shoulder? Well, I'm going to punch you in the face. I'm going to take you 
out. And that's how, uh, how we escalate, right? We escalate arguments, and, and that's true of them too, of, of people. We just escalate into violence. So the scriptures actually lay, give us a plan to, 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 to stop that to have justice, and then to move on with our lives. And the amazing thing is that this law doesn't just apply to the poor people. It doesn't just apply to the, to the women. It applies to men, women, young, old, rich, or poor. It was incredibly uh, kind of... It equaled the society. It was, there was justice for all. And this reflects God's character. The law restrains Evil, and we know this, right? Because when uh, when you drive, do you drive uh, 110 miles an hour up the interstate? Maybe some of you do. Oh, I saw a smile. <laughs> but chances are, most of you don't. You know, 55 miles an hour. You, you maybe you drive like 60, 65, 70, and you pray. <laughs> Not to slow down, but just that you wouldn't get caught for some reason. But the law restrains your, your lead foot just a little bit, doesn't it? You don't drive 95, 110 because you're afraid. You don't want what one of our trustees of our church called an excellence in driving award from your local uh, police department, do you? The law restrains physical evil, but also spiritual evil in the nation of Israel. And third, the law diagnoses hearts. The law diagnoses hearts. There are 613 laws in the Old Testament, like we saw. Exodus chapters 21 through 23, they only give a handful of them. But it's interesting, Moses gives all of these commandments to the people, and what do they say? They say, yes. We will obey. We agree to enter into the relationship with God on God's terms, abiding by these laws. Now, when we move into a community, we don't have to go through some sort of formal agreement to say we will abide by the local community laws, do we? But when, when the Israelites entered into uh, this covenant, this new law, they had to sacrifice bulls. And what does Moses do? He takes the blood of some of these bulls and he scatters it on the people. He throws it on the people. Exodus 24, 8 says, Moses then took the blood, sprinkled it on the people. Now there are two million people. I don't know if it was representation of the people or what. He sprinkles it on the people and said, This is the blood of the covenant that the Lord has made with you in accordance with these words. Moses is sending a very interesting signal here. Yes, it's ratifying the covenant, but what it's doing is, is Moses is saying, If you obey this law like you, like you promised, like you said, you will receive God's blessings. In the end of Deuteronomy, we see blessings, but we also see curses. Because Moses is also saying, well, if you disobey God's law, you will receive God's curses. You, in essence, will become just like this bull. Your blood will be sprinkled out. Your blood will be cast out. You will receive the curse. Now, that's a, a pretty interesting thing. We don't really uh, understand what that's like in our culture. 
Now, growing up in Colorado, uh, I, one of the things that I did, one of the weird things I did, is I helped butcher some elk and some deer growing up because uh, my family hunted a little bit. And I really wasn't the hunter in the family. I was, I was pretty uh, grossed out by the whole affair. But I, it was, it was, I was also homeschooled, so it was kind of biology class, so I really had to get in there and, uh, and help out. Uh, but I did it with one of my friends, and he thought it was funny one day to take uh, a chunk of meat and chase me around and wipe it on my face. And I was about 11 or 12 at the time, and I think I cried. Uh, but that stuck with me, right? Having, having raw meat wiped in your face, that's pretty gross. That's pretty disgusting, and I apologize for using this sermon illustration. <laughs> but... That's a little bit like what Moses is doing. He is taking blood of a bull and throwing it on the people. I don't know about you, but I would not want that to be me. I would not want that on me. And yet, through this, the people say, all right, we agree to these terms. That'll become us if we disobey. And just in a few short chapters, what happens? They disobey. That's the story of the golden calf, right? They're certainly not loving God when they bow down and they worship the calf. Chapter 24 ends with Moses going up the mountain to speak with God. And while he's up there 40 days, the Israelites start worshiping this calf. See, there's a deeper problem than just their desire. Their desire is fine. They want to obey. They want to do right. But there's something inside of them that prevents them. It's, It's called uncircumcised hearts. They have hard hearts. Remember Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and how he wouldn't let the Israelites go? He wouldn't let God's people go? What did it say about him? It says that Pharaoh had a hard heart. He hardened his heart. God hardened his heart. And the Bible is really telling us as the story goes on that the Israelites have that same hardness in their hearts. They don't want to honor God. They don't want to obey him. So what does God do? Well, God promises a new law. God promises new hearts. See, first, God is going to renovate the law given to Moses at Sinai into a new and better law. And we're going to see this when Jesus comes into the story. I think a way of understanding this new and better law that's coming is, in one sense, it's a replacement, but it's more like a fulfillment, it's the ideal version of what this law should be. It's a, it's a renovation. You take a house and you upgrade it. God, God is going to give them a new and better upgraded, renovated law. Jeremiah chapter 31, 33 says, This is the covenant, the law, and it's going to be a new covenant. I will make with the people of Israel after that time, declares the Lord. I will put my law in their minds, and I will write it on their hearts. This promise comes 800 years later by a prophet named Jeremiah, and he is telling them, well, God's going to give you a new law. He's going to give you a new covenant, and it's going to be better than the last one. It's going to be a fulfillment. It's going to be a renovation. God promises a new law that will be written, not in stone like at Sinai, like on those Ten Commandments, but on their very hearts. And second, God is going to give them new hearts. He's going to replace those old hard hearts that Moses describes as hearts made out of stone, kind of hearts that match that Old Testament law. He's going to give them new law, uh, a, new, a new law, and then new hearts to match the new law that's written on the inside. So 
He's going to get rid of the hard hearts that disobey and give them new soft hearts that listen and trust God and obey. Ezekiel 36, 26 says, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from your heart of stone, from you, your heart of stone, and give you a heart of flesh. See, God is going to remove their hearts that trust in themselves, that trust in their own obedience to a law. He's going to give them hearts that recognize they can't do it, that they, they can't obey the law, that they need a, a new hope. They need a new way forward. So God is going to give them a lot. He's going to give them a new heart, and he's going to give them a new law. They're kind of like that kid, the, the birthday kid at a birthday celebration who gets all these gifts, and all the other kids gather around, and there's envy in their hearts because they need new hearts. See, they're, they're going to be a light to those nations, right? So God is going to give them these two hearts. He's going to give them a new law and a new heart. But God has to do this through a person. He has to do this through Christ, through Christ Jesus, which leads us to our second question. How does the law apply to Christ? See, through Jesus, God's people receive a new law and new hearts. And he does this by fulfilling the old law, so by obeying the old law perfectly. Matthew 5, 17 says, Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. And so the question is, well, how does Jesus fulfill the law? Well, Christ gives a new law and new hearts. He comes along and he does what God promised would take place. Now, remember how Moses gave the law to the Israelites on a mountain at Mount Sinai? What do we see happen in the New Testament with the story of Jesus? We see uh, one of the most famous passages in the New Testament is called the Sermon on the Mount. And in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus really lays down this new law. Blessed are the peacemakers. Blessed are the poor in spirit. And some of the laws he even gives are, are references back to that, uh, that, th those Ten Commandments. Uh, the Ten Commandments say, don't murder. Well, I say, don't hate someone in your heart. The Ten Commandments say, don't commit adultery. Well, I say, don't lust after someone. See, Jesus' law is a new law that's much deeper, much truer. It gets to the heart of the issue. It goes uh, much further than Moses' law ever could. It's much truer. It's much more challenging. It's like in our context, Jesus doesn't say, don't speed, don't break the speed limit. He's saying, don't put your neighbor at risk so that you can get ahead. Love your neighbor. Love those around you. Now, do you also remember how Moses threw the blood on the people, right? This very graphic illustration in order to ratify that new law. Well, Jesus goes through something similar. See, he, at the, the Last Supper, says, you know, I'm going to ratify this covenant as well. By spilling my own blood. So Luke chapter 22 verse 20, we, say, we see this. In the same way, after the supper, he took the cup saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood which is poured out for you. See, right before he goes to the cross, he, he does a kind of a covenant making ceremony. He, he makes this new law. He says, you know, I, I've laid down these teachings 
I'm calling you to, to follow them. I'm calling you to obey them. But I know you can't. Already I know you can't. And so I'm going to spill my blood. Jesus doesn't take the, uh, the, the cup and, and, and splatter it on the disciples. He says, this is my blood that I am giving to you. I'm going to make this new law into a reality. Jesus is given a new law. But he's also going to give a new heart. See, this new law is not cut on stones. It's cut inside us. It's cut through the Holy Spirit. It's cut through God's will. Romans chapter 2, verse 29a says, No, a person is a Jew who is one inwardly, and circumcision is circumcision of the heart by the Spirit, not by the written code. See, the Holy Spirit is going to come and write Jesus' law, this understanding on his disciples, on his followers, that, that we as individuals are to love God and to love neighbor. And we actually don't need to uh, have it written out for us in a written code other than what we see in the Scriptures as a reminder to us. We're going to know instinctively what Christ expects of us, to love God and to love neighbor, and the Scriptures help form that understanding. So Christ gives a new law and he gives a new heart. And both things are necessary. Now, after the U.S. Civil War, uh, local governments passed what have become known as Jim Crow laws. Jim Crow laws restricted access to black communities, uh, to government resources, to education, to good jobs, to housing, to a lot of other opportunities. And this is because in 1896, well, uh, why it wasn't put down is that the U.S. Supreme Court in 1896, they codified this. They codified this with a new law called separate but equal. Separate but equal. And they ruled that it was fine for, uh, to have racially separate facilities, if equal, that it did not violate the U.S. Constitution. It wasn't until 1954, 58 years later, 58 years of oppression, 58 years of the black community uh, suffering under this law, that Brown versus the Board of Education uh, overthrew this. The, the, the U.S. Supreme Court uh, overturned itself. But to end segregation in America, two things had to happen. One, the law had to change. The law had to change to quit justifying the integrating of white communities and black communities and schools and people. But for true integration to take place, another thing had to happen. The hearts of the people had to change. The hearts of, of white people had to stop viewing themselves as ethnically superior to black people. And there were studies that done that black people saw themselves as inferior because of these laws. They had to stop believing that they were inferior. See, the law had to change and the hearts of the people had to change in order for true and good change to take place. For Christ to set us free from sin and from death, for Christ to set us free from this old law that just, just brings uh, suffering, he has to give us a new heart and he has to give us a new law. This is the first way Christ fulfills the law. And secondly, Christ embodies the law for us. 
Remember how Jesus summarized the law? He said, it's loving God and it's loving your neighbor. Jesus, he, if you look at his life and his ministry, he embodies the Ten Commandments. Jesus always put God first, his Father first. That's the first commandment, no other gods before me. Jesus in the garden prayed, not my will, Father, but your will be done. The second commandment, make no other idols. Don't bow down to these idols. Remember, Satan tempted him in the wilderness. And what did Jesus do? He didn't bow down to Satan. Third commandment, blasphemy. Jesus was accused of blasphemy, but he was the only one who bore God's name rightly, who represented God perfectly. Fourth one, the, the, the Sabbath, keep the Sabbath day. The Bible tells us that Jesus becomes our Sabbath rest, that you can experience rest with God through Christ. See, Jesus knew what it meant to love God perfectly. Jesus embodies love for God. And he also embodies love for neighbor, the, se- the, the next six commandments. To honor your parents. Jesus, as he was dying on the cross, said to his disciple, Behold your mother, referring to Mary, making sure that she was taken care of. Jesus was embodying the law there. The sixth commandment, don't murder. Jesus, uh, Jesus didn't murder, but he was actually murdered for us. The seventh, don't commit adultery. Jesus, Jesus not only never committed adultery, he never lusted, he also loved the adulteress. He welcomed her in. That's the kind of way that Christ embodies this law. Jesus didn't steal, never did anything like that. He didn't give false testimony. In fact, as he was going to the cross and as he was being accused of crimes he did not commit, it says he, he stayed silent. He didn't put up a defense. And the 10th commandment is don't covet. <laughs> Jesus had everything. Jesus is the son of God who ruled in heaven and he had all the, the glories and the riches of heaven and he gave that all away so that you and I can experience heaven as well. See, Jesus embodies the law. He embodies loving God and loving neighbor. The gospel, maybe you've never heard of the gospel, it's the good news that Jesus embodies uh, us, that Jesus takes our places. This is all what Christianity is about. This is the, the heart of Christianity, that his body is the one that counts. When God looks at us, On that final day, when he judges us, he doesn't say, you're going to get into heaven based on your good works. You're going to to come into my presence based on the body, the, the work of Christ. He's going to take your punishment on the cross. My sins are nailed to Christ, and his his goodness, his perfection, his holiness is nailed to me. This is the gospel. This is what we call justification, and it's beautiful. Jesus embodies the law for us, which leads us to our final question. How does the law apply to Christians? The law God gave to Moses does not apply to Christians. Because Jesus has given us a new covenant, a new law. This new covenant, this new law, is a renovation of the Mosaic covenant. But when we read through the Old Testament, we shouldn't... uh, be looking at those passages and saying, I have to follow this word for word. Instead, we can look at those laws and say, I can draw principles from them about loving God and loving my neighbor. I shouldn't dig a pit and leave it uncovered because that would be harmful to my neighbor. And what are other ways that I am harmful to my neighbor? I leave all these tacks scattered in their driveway so their their car tires will pop. That's kind of a, a lame illustration. 
But you get the idea. Are we putting our neighbors at risk? We don't want to do that. But we want to fulfill Christ's law. Galatians 6, 2 really says that there is this new law. Carry each other's burdens, and, this, and in this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. See, we live in a new country. We live in a different country. It's like a, uh, I've been to Croatia. I traveled there a couple summers ago. The laws of Croatia don't apply to me in the same way that if you live in Croatia. Now, I'm sure it's illegal there to, to murder, uh, to steal. Those certainly apply to me. Those are, those are kind of intrinsic truths. But according to Balderdash, in Zagreb, Croatia, it is against the law to teach anyone to boogie-woogie. And I know, as a, as a citizen of the U.S., that I am free to boogie-woogie. As Christians who follow the law of Christ, we are, we are free. We're set free to follow his law. To, to, we're free to love God, and we're free to love neighbor. But as Andy said, that's not an easy thing. That's incredibly difficult because God calls us to do that at incredible personal cost. To love others first. My big idea is the law of Christ sets us free to obey. The law of Christ sets us free to obey. It does this two ways. The law reminds us of our need for Christ. Matthew 5, 48 says, Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. This is Jesus speaking to us. This is incredibly challenging. Well, I can't do that. In my own power, I have an uncircumcised heart, just like those Israelites, just like Pharaoh. The theologian Lady Gaga is right. I am born this way. I can't do this. And I know this because we all, we all choose sin every day, don't we? And yet, this helps us remember that we need Christ, that we need Jesus, that we need his new heart that he has given us and that he is transforming in us every single day. Because as we receive this new heart, as we're gifted with this, we can begin to obey. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old has gone. The new is here. Every time we remember our inability to obey, we should, at that same moment when we're feeling guilty, when we're feeling ashamed for not following Jesus perfectly, we should remember Jesus' perfect ability and that he always followed God faithfully and thank him for giving us new hearts, for giving us his heart. Because we actually are holy. We're just learning to live that way day by day. See, I don't measure up in my own strength, but in Christ I do. In my new heart, I have a heart that measures up, that's beginning to measure up day by day. And, and there's this mystery in there because there's this tension. I'm perfect, but I'm not. I'm beginning to trust Jesus every day and be transformed. The law reminds us of our need for Christ, and the Holy Spirit helps us obey Christ's law. See, God gives us his Holy Spirit. We don't have to do this on our own. God actually comes and helps us. Maybe you've heard of the fruit of the Spirit. It's not the fruit that I bear on my own. Galatians 5.22 says, but the fruit of the Spirit... So what the Spirit is doing in us is love, it's joy, it's peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things, there is no law. See, God is doing a work in us that is greater than the law of Moses ever could. 
Moses' law was based on these actions. And, and Jesus is saying, I, I want to transform the inside. I don't want to just change how you interact with others. I, I want to change you from the inside out so that it comes from a true place, a place of love, a place of gentleness. So the Holy Spirit helps us obey Jesus' version of the Ten Commandments. He helps us love God first by putting him first, by valuing him first. He helps remove those idols in our life, those things that we prioritize over God. God is going to root those out through the power of the Holy Spirit. If we're not representing Jesus well in our actions, Jesus, through the Holy Spirit, will convict us of that and help us and empower us. He'll help us honor our parents. He'll help us rest in Christ. He'll help us give to others, not just try to consume, but give at, at our own expense. He'll help us protect our marriages and help us not gossip and, and find contentment in our relationship with God. The Holy Spirit helps us do things we don't want to do. And I want to challenge you this week. I, I, I'm sure all of you at some point this week are going to have an opportunity to kind of say, you know, I don't really want to do this thing, but I know it's the right thing. I'm going to I'm going to ask the Holy Spirit to help me do this thing, whatever it is. Honestly, I didn't really want to go to the chaperone the dance last night. <laughs> and so I asked the Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit, would you help me? And my wife also helped me go. <laughs> and I want you to do that. Whatever comes to you, ask the Holy Spirit to, to help you follow Christ's law. Ask the Holy Spirit to, to remind you of that new heart. The law of Christ it sets us free, but it sets us free to obey, to live a new life. When Brown versus the Board of Education passed, Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. said this. He said, for all men of goodwill, May 17, 1954, marked a joyous end to the long night of enforced segregation. This decision brought hope to millions of disinherited black men and women who had formerly dared only to dream of freedom. When Jesus died and when he rose again 2,000 years ago, he ended that long night of oppression, that long night of living under guilt and shame, and he set us free, free to obey, free to enjoy a relationship with God, free to trust God, to give him our entire lives. At the 48th anniversary of Brown versus the Board of Education, uh, U.S. Representative John Lewis said, we live in a different country, a better country, because of what happened here in 1954. And we must never forget it. We must tell the story again, over and over and over. As Christians, we live in a far better country. We live in a, in a country that's also a theocracy. It's ruled by Jesus. We live in a, in a place that belongs to him. And he did that by spilling his own blood on the cross, taking our curse, our shame, our sin, so that we can have the blessings of God, so that we can have eternal life. That's the message of Christianity. And as we enter into this new country, this, this, this far better country, let us remember what Christ has done for us and let us follow him in obedience. The law of Christ, it sets us free to obey. Let me pray. Father God, help us obey you. <laughs> help us obey Christ. 
We know that you do through your Holy Spirit, that you've given us new hearts. Help us to love you, to love our neighbor. Lord, I pray that we would love you through our tithes and offerings, that we would love you sacrificially, love you until it hurts, remembering what Christ has done for us. And we love you as we, as we close in worship, as we sing, and as we fellowship after the service. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen.